0: And welcome to this week's episode of History from the Back Pages. I'm your host, Colin Sugg, bringing you another movie review here on the podcast. We have covered various films throughout history thus far on season six. We continue with a film that's considered a classic in the crime thriller genre. It was released in 1954 based on a screenplay by Frederick Knott, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And Alfred Hitchcock has directed many legendary films, including this one as well. This one might not as be as well-known or well-critiqued compared to some of his classics, but this one is classic in its own right. And the title of the film is Dial M for Murder. Starring Ray Milland, Grace Kelly, Robert Cummings, and John Williams—not the composer John Williams, but the British actor. And the plot for Dialogue for the Murder is pretty self-explanatory. You find out where the movie's going very early on, minutes in, as an audience member, you realize, okay, this is where we're going, and this is the setup for the movie. So how the plot goes down is there is a retired English tennis player named Tony Wendyce who's married to a very wealthy socialite named Margot and you can tell that Margot is the one of the money. She's got the money in relationship, very wealthy, whereas Tony Wendyce, though he's a tennis player, he does not have the same amount of wealth as his wife. And in cases, he's using his wealth's income to um, perform in his life and g- get new things. She is one of the helpful aspects in the relationship. And right away, you realize that Tony Wendice, Raymond Lance's character has found out that his wife is having an affair. So Margot is having an affair with a mystery writer named Mark Halliday, played by Robert Cummings. And when you see on the big screen, Margot and Mark meet together. When Mark Halliday comes early on in the film to stay with the couple while he's in town. And... Margot and Mark both are unaware that her husband, Tony, knows about the affair. They believe that it is a secret between the lovers and that her husband has no idea that there is the affair. But actually, in reality, Tony Wendice indeed knows about the affair. He has been watching them. He's been reading the letters between them. He actually stole letters from Margot and Bert and was able to find one and read it. That was a very special letter. But as an honest member, we never learn what it says. Just that it's very, very special. It must have been a very emotional letter that Mark wrote to Margot And Tony Wendice needed that letter. So he was able to steal it from her. And she never knew that he was in possession of the letter. So that's one big important part of the film the pair not knowing that Tony all along knew about the affair. And once this is explained, Mark and Margot go out to see a show. So they're gone. And during this period is when the setup for the evil deed transpires. So Tony Wendyce invites a man over to buy his car is the premise, but in reality, Tony Wendice went to school at Cambridge University with this man over 20 years ago. And when the man, Charles Swan, he has multiple names because he's a small-time criminal. So he has multiple names, but one of his names is Charles Swan, played by Anthony Dawson, arrives. At first, Tony Wendice is kind of like, I want to buy your car, but then immediately... He tells him why he really invited him. And that he tells them that he has blackmail on him. Because he's been following him. Creepy stalker-like. Watching him as every move. Following him everywhere he goes. Learning his routine. Everything about him. Knowing the people he sees. Knowing where he goes. Knowing what he likes to do. Going to dog racing. Everything. He knows everything. About Charles Swan. And because of that, he's able to obtain blackmail that he uses against Charles Swan. And he also, Charles Swan touches stuff in the apartment, which Tony is able to use as blackmail as well. Like, for example, he touches the letter between Mark and Margot. And Tony then d- tells Charles Swan that he wants his wife to be killed, that after the affair he wants to inherit her vast fortune, he wants her out of the picture, and he blackmails Charles Swan into committing the murder. He will pay Charles Swan a sum of pounds, and in the end Charles Swan agrees to commit the murder. So once Tony has all set up the perfect murder, it's all good to go. He's making sure nothing is amiss. He's making sure that he made no error in the plan. It is all perfectly accounted for. So then we get to the part when the murder really takes place. I'm not going to spoil it any, because it's really dramatic. But just know that it does not go according to plan. The perfect murder, which isn't isn't really a thing to exist. There is no perfect murder besides some small instances or like even then but just know that go goes wrong and i told my mom when we were watching the film that it was a mistake to use charles swan as the murderer 21 dice probably should have maybe himself because when you commit murder by yourself you can more control what goes on and any mistakes but when you hire someone else to commit the murder you can't control their actions and thoughts. So if they back out, for example, or forget a part of the plan or make a mistake during the murder itself, you can't control those. They're uncontrollable and it could make everything go to pot, which is what happens. And after that, immediately they try to like, set the scene. He tries to evade the law. Chief Inspector Hubbard, played by John Williams, comes in to investigate the crime. And throughout, he goes toe-to-toe with Tony, trying to get him arrested. And that's pretty much part of the plot. Now I'm going to go over my thoughts on the film on a rating scale, 1 to 10. I greatly enjoyed Dial M for Murder. Good shot selection. The music was very good. It was a very enjoyable movie. And I've really been enjoying movies made in the 1940s and 50s lately. That has been some of the classic ones I've been watching and reviewing here on the podcast. For example, Laura. And now Dial M for Murder. Have been some of the films I've really enjoyed lately. And if I had to give it a rating, which is 10, I'm gonna go with a high mark's. Not as high as last week's, and not as high as Laura's, I'd probably give Dial and for Murder a like 9 out of 10. Definitely highly above average. There wasn't anything. In the direction or acting there was a miss some of the things that make it a little bit lower to me as parts of the plot were a little down and kind of slow paced which was important there needed to be slow paced to burn and get ready to blow for the murder that was going to take place but at times it's kind of slower paced compared to last week's or some of the other films we've covered but still, that's not a huge issue. It doesn't detract from uh, my thoughts of it, really. Besides the little nitpicky things here and there. So overall, no. When describing the film, a man finds his wife is having an affair, pays someone to kill his wife, and the murder goes all wrong. Doesn't go according to plan. That could basically be... In a short synopsis, if you only have like 10 seconds to describe the film to someone who's never seen it, you can use that as your example. And other things about the film are it did very well when it was released. It's high reception. People very enjoyed it getting a 90% Rotten Tomatoes. And there have been many, many remakes as well. Many films and TV episodes have been remade from Dialing for Murder. For example, Perfect Murder, released in 1998, was a direct remake. And much more... A lot of these films I do, you definitely can see its impact on film. When there are multiple remakes of it, it was very well regarded when it came out then people say okay let's wait a while and make a remake or make some video game or something that's like a direct remake or just steal some parts from it remake it a teeny bit and then call it a brand new movie but a lot of times of course remakes are not as good as original there's very rare if never where a remake is better than the original film Partly because you've seen it before. Partly they take parts of the original film and add new things, but they don't come across in the same fashion. And people said that about the one that was a remake in 1998, Perfect Murder, starring Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow, Vigo Morrison, that though the names changed of the characters and the plot changed, it was not as good by far. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of History from the Back Pages and my review of the film Dial M for Murder. Greatly enjoyed it. If you have any future films that you want me to review, let me know on Twitter at History from the Back Pages and Instagram at History from the Back Pages as well. I'll definitely respond to your comments on both of those social media sites. And I very much appreciate you listening to History for the Back Pages. It's been a long, enjoyable ride. I'm going to continue more with watching films for Season 6. So far, we've covered almost, and not bonuses, we've already reviewed like 12 films. We're continuing strong. And bonuses were the Christmas films that I looked at. Miracle of 34th 4th Street, Bishop's Wife, and Christmas in Connecticut. And I also did a NAR bonus as well on The Our Side of Heaven. And we're definitely going to continue with more classic films. I have some ideas for the next episode. I've been doing some research to figure out what movie I want to zone in on. I have some potential ones I'm going to narrow it down to. But if you have one that you think I need to cover albeit a Great film, horrible one, They can consider a classic, let me know. I'll greatly look into it and consider if it is good for next week or in the future. And as you can tell so far on the podcast for this season, not all the films are classics or considered great films. We've done some that were enjoyable pleasures that were not considered highly claimed, such as Venomous or... Uh, one's along those lines. So thank you and see you next week on a strip for the back pages. Consuck signing off.